Good afternoon. My name is Natasha Slabas and I am a family law partner at Sears Tooth, a boutique family law only specialist firm based in Mayfair, London. I'm now starting this podcast to try to bring to you digestible knowledge in the area of family law. I do not wish to uh, go into lots and lots of detail, but I wanted to make a podcast that was easy to understand that helped people who were in a difficult position come to an informed decision and also understand what lies ahead. Um, Often pulling the trigger, if we first look at divorce on this uh, podcast number one, is, is the hardest thing because one finds that they have been aware of the difficulties for a lot longer than they care to admit but perhaps haven't yet plucked up the courage to press the button and say it really has no hope and the best thing for both of us and perhaps any children is to just draw a line, move forwards, mitigate damage control as usually things just get worse if you think that you can continue as you are and therefore salvage any possibility of keeping uh, a reasonably uh, amicable relationship for the sake of your children when you have separated. If we turn to the first things then that you should think about if you're embarking upon divorce, you need to consider whether mediation is an option because often it's the case that If you've decided to end things at a relatively okay-ish stage in that you're not completely acrimonious, you can bear to be in the same room, uh, you you haven't yet um, become uh, completely against them, you you just think that it's over. It could be that you, you can manage to go to mediation and resolve your divorce and financial issues with the help of a trained mediator who have the skills and expertise to understand exactly what uh, you should be trying to achieve in order to end uh, your uh, joint matrimonial uh, wealth in a way that is divided to leave both of you in financially sound positions for your futures Most couples will find that their joint wealth is stronger than their individual wealth. Uh, But some may find that they are the homemaker and the spouse is the breadwinner. And thankfully, the days have now long gone uh, in family law in the UK, whereby those who were achieving the financial fruits of the marriage were to be favoured, which means that there there is an equal contribution recognised in the family law courts as to both parties' uh, contributions towards their marriage, whether or not they have earned money or not. That is particularly the case for their children and where spouse may have sacrificed a career in order to upbring the children. And if there is a nanny, it doesn't undermine that sacrifice and that 
task of looking after the children. Uh, when you therefore think about uh, what you want to do in terms of pressing the button, I always think that you must think about mediation, and that's irrespective of the fact that there is a duty for solicitors in family practice to signpost you to a mediator. You do not have to go to a mediator, however, and if you feel that it is something that you do not see as being a means to an end and a complete waste of time, or if you're a victim of domestic violence and you are afraid of being in the same room as your partner, uh, then it may well be that mediation is not appropriate and we would not then advise And I certainly, if I saw a client who was in a vulnerable position uh, and suffering from a perpetrator's violence, uh, I would certainly not advise them to go to a mediator. And there are exemptions for that, which aren't necessary for the actual divorce itself. But if you were to go to court to argue about your finances, then that would be something that you could uh, get around Uh, having to do. So the first thing therefore in your petition is to think about whether or not you have jurisdiction in the first place and there are limited uh, rules on how you can apply for your divorce in the first place. Those are whether both of you are habitually resident in England and Wales. Habitual residence is a legal concept but largely speaking and in very general terms to make this straightforward for you to understand, it means that you've lived here for probably six months to a year um, in the most part um, and it's been your main place of residence, i.e. this jurisdiction, not I've lived in one home in this jurisdiction for six to 12 months. You could have lived in lots of places within the UK within the last six to 12 months and that would be fine. But the main point is you've been here habitually speaking, as it says on the tin. Then the second option is both parties in the marriage were last living in England and Wales, I habitually resident, and one of them continues to live there. So if your spouse is abroad but you've lived here, that's fine. Then the other option is the respondent is habitually resident, which is that your spouse uh, lives here but you don't Uh, the next is that you're habitually resident in England and Wales and you've been here for at least a year before you made your application for divorce and the next one is that you are domiciled and I'll come to that in a second and habitually resident in England and Wales and you've resided here for at least six months prior to the application which is Uh, what I had stated at the beginning as being a broad uh, interpretation of what the term for habitual residence actually means. Domicile is uh, another legal concept. Basically, if you were born here, then you are domiciled here. You can uh, find yourself in a position where you might be domiciled elsewhere, but I won't come to that in this podcast. The next option is that both you and your spouse are domiciled here or uh, one of you is domiciled here. Uh, So 
then we are with one last option. We used to have more options, but we've now left the EU as of 1st January 2021. Uh, so the rules have now changed for those who had connections with another EU country that could get divorced here, which was often seen as a real positive because we have a very favourable divorce system in terms of the financial awards we give to the lesser um, uh, benefited, let's say, of of the parties. So the last option now uh, that we've left Brexit is that you and your respondent were both civil partners in England, Wales, or are same-sex couple and married to each other. Uh, and it would be in the interest of justice for the court to assume jurisdiction in the case. So that's where none of the above options apply. You've got that last option um, because civil partnership was recognised as of 31st December 2019 under government legislation to reform that following uh, petitions for reform from lots of uh, heterosexual couples who said that it was discriminatory for uh, same-sex couples to be able to enter into a civil partnership when uh, they weren't allowed to. So those are the options, therefore, for satisfying whether or not you can even bring your divorce in this jurisdiction in the first place that you need to get through, and you need to have at least one of those. And then comes to the next uh, most important step, which also must be uh, satisfied in order for you to get a divorce in this jurisdiction, which is that there has been an irretrievable breakdown and that there are one of five facts which you can establish, which are as follows. The first one is that your partner has committed adultery. The second one is that They have behaved unreasonably and you can't be expected to continue to live with them. The third one is desertion, which is that your spouse has deserted you for a continuous period of at least two years preceding your application for a divorce. And the fourth option is that you have been separated for two years from your spouse and they consent to it, which is very important. You can't rely on this option without their consent. So the above option, number three, desertion, is an option which you might want to rely on if you can't get their consent because you don't need consent from your spouse to rely on the fact of desertion. And then we come to the last and fifth option, which is that you have been separated for five years, which means you have lived apart for a continuous period of at least five years preceding the application for divorce. So those are the five facts, one of which you must establish and the marriage must have irretrievably broken down. So when we look at those facts, the most commonly relied upon is unreasonable behaviour, second option behaviour. And the reason for that is that we are in a fault-based system. Uh, You can see from all of these particular facts that you have to find fault with your spouse in order to even start a divorce. That is now thankfully changing. Um, It has not yet come into law, but we 
are entering into uh, a uh, likelihood now that uh, hopefully this year, 2021, fault-based divorce will no longer be what is required for those in this jurisdiction to get a divorce. Uh, That has been long awaited and it's been campaigned for for several years now. And even though we have a very advantageous system in terms of separation of finances for weaker parties on divorce, we have a very backward system, on the other hand, because we have taken so long to get to a stage where we recognise it is very uh, old-fashioned and backwards to assume fault and uh, responsibility um, of the other partner as being the reason. Uh, it it is, uh, you know, some has been something that has been fought for for so long. So I'm quite pleased that we have gotten to this stage where we're nearly embarking upon a new era of divorce law which will make it much more straightforward for people thinking about divorce because you won't have this threshold of trying to assume one of five facts and um, it will also uh, make divorce less acrimonious because finding fault in the first place goes against the uh, ethos of uh, resolution and uh, which is a, a very renowned uh, charity in the UK which is supposed to focus divorcing couples into separating with dignity and amicability um, so to have a law that is enshrined in finding blame and derogating your other half is at complete odds with the uh, purposes of uh, mediation and resolution in family law and it usually uh, has uh, collateral damage on children when you have a very acrimonious divorce as some of you will probably be able to identify with if you've seen friends or family go through a divorce. So As I said, the most common relied fact is uh, unreasonable behaviour because you can usually name a couple of examples which are subjective, i.e. it's your perspective. You know, a judge will look at this application and the examples you've given and will decide upon based on how it is uh, affecting you, that ongoing behaviour of your spouse, Uh, whether that is sufficient for you to satisfy the gateway for getting the divorce. There are very few defended cases. There has been a very big case which was publicised called Owens and Owens. And really that case, if anything, showed us that the campaign for getting rid of and abolishing the no-fault divorce uh, law in, in this jurisdiction was desperately in need of coming into play um, because in that case um, the wife petitioned for the divorce in May of 2015 and she demonstrated that the marriage had irretrievably broken down but relied on her husband's unreasonable behaviour and she said that because of that she couldn't be expected to continue to live with him and wanted to divorce and her husband 
defended her petition because he said that his behaviour was not unreasonable in the context of the marriage. And at first instance, so in the first court, when he was defending the divorce, uh, the judge said that the wife was exaggerating the seriousness of the allegations and they were pretty normal. And the court found that no behaviour she had relied upon could be unreasonable. And so um, it was not a case that her marriage had irretrievably broken down when the judge considered this and her petition was dismissed. And she appealed it and the Court of Appeal returned to the question in the statute, which was, has the respondent behaved in such a way that the petitioner cannot reasonably be expected to live with the respondent. And the Court of Appeal was satisfied that the judge had correctly applied the law. Then she had one last chance to uh, dispute that decision, and that was at the Supreme Court. Very rarely do cases go to the Supreme Court, but she managed to get through the door and appealed the decision in the, of the Court of Appeal there. And the Supreme Court judges agreed this was a very difficult case and they were very uneasy with their decision, but they recognised it wasn't for them to change the law laid down by Parliament. They only could interpret the black letter law um, and uh, they couldn't go beyond it. So unfortunately, this case leaves practitioners with some unease because it means that we have to be a lot more prudent and cautious when advising clients of using unreasonable behaviour as a fact so that you don't fall into the owns and owns trap. I would usually advise that you think of the first bad incident, the worst bad incident and then the last, i.e. most recent bad incident and Describe those within your petition uh, and that will then hopefully satisfy the gateway. I think it is best to discuss this with a lawyer because of Owens and Owens, because you don't want to get into a situation where you are fighting over whether or not you can even get the divorce, as was the case in Owens and Owens, which is extremely costly and laborious litigation. Um, that puts a hold on you moving forwards with your life. So get it right, get the advice is, is what I would say to you. Now, in terms of the rest of the petition, it's fairly straightforward. You have to apply in a box at the end of your petition for whether you want to proceed with making a claim for financial order. I would always advise that you tick all of those boxes, even if you don't want to do that because your financial claims on divorce are important and without getting any financial order on your divorce, you then leave open the possibility of uh, there being a, poss a possible way in for your ex-spouse in the future to come after you for assets which were never really uh, underlined or underpinned rather by an actual court order. So it's extremely important that you have some sort of order dealing with your financial relief, which is under a separate application from your petition. The petition 
costs £550 to lodge and it is uh, usually looked at fairly quickly by the court, although there's a big backlog at the moment, so I understand, given the pandemic. But the, the other point I would say is, before you send your petition, unless you're in a situation where you're in fear of further domestic violence occurring or there is some sort of jurisdiction race with another country where you need to secure this jurisdiction before your spouse gets to another less favourable jurisdiction, for example, then I would say that you, uh, otherwise, if those don't apply, send the uh, particulars of your uh, assertions in your petition to your ex to look at and agree upon so that you avoid their shock at receiving this document once the court has stamped it and sent an acknowledgement of service which must be um, completed by them to get to the next stage. So it's important that you make sure that your spouse is on board, um, avoid the Owens and Owens trap, avoid acrimony by shocking them with a petition landing on their door unless there are circumstances with which justify departure from those principles and you will have a more smooth process that way. There are, as I say, circumstances that cannot be avoided and so you can't uh, send them the petition in the first place and those situations do call for, uh, if you like, extenuating circumstances. And I wouldn't advise sending the particulars if those sort of problems apply to your matter. And once then acknowledgement of service is completed by your spouse, you can then apply for decree nisi, which is the first of the final two stages of the administrative side of your divorce. And you have to basically fill out another form that shows that nothing has changed since you first petitioned you're still uh, separated, for example, you have to declare all the content of your petition was correct. And then you also uh, state where you're living at the time of that application and then send it to the court. And uh, the court will then check uh, that document and make sure acknowledgement of service has been filed by your spouse and essentially rubber stamp the decree nisi in a date that it happens in a, a hearing which you don't need to attend and then six weeks and one day after you know decree nisi has been pronounced you will be able to apply for decree absolute which is the final stage final certificate for your divorce in some circumstances you may wish to delay applying for decree absolute because of the fact that you need to be careful where there are pensions concerned. If you need to resolve finances, and I strongly advise those of you who, who are going to think about getting a divorce, that you must also um, solidify your division of your assets as well into a formal order, which you can do via consent and without going to court. And I will do another podcast on that side of the divorce because it is a very uh, detailed topic. I'll try to make it as digestible, hopefully, as you'll find this topic on the divorce itself. But in a nutshell, if you are going to go down that route and there are pensions, 
you should not be applying for decree absolute before the final order is concluded as to the division of pension sharing, if at all, or pension transfer. And that order needs to be taken into force, i.e. sealed by the judge um, as well. And that will only take into effect 28 days after the order was made or when decree absolute is pronounced, whichever is later. So the pitfall here is that if decree absolute happens, let's say, to take place on 28 days after the financial order is made with the pension transfer or pension share, and the person who is subject to the pension sharing order dies, then the pension sharing aspect will fail. So the former spouse who is divorced has no safety in terms of securing that pension um, or death in service benefits from the pension scheme as they would have done only days or weeks before if they were still married. So those are very important rules that that sort of show you um, why it's important to get some legal advice as well. So I leave you with that as the first podcast and I hope that it gives you some food for thought in terms of embarking upon a difficult decision in your life. Um, please do get in touch with me um, at sistooth.com. I also have an Instagram page, Natasha the Family Lawyer. Please um, feel free to also have a look at that and you can contact me via that page as well. I wish you a good week ahead.